You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to now. This is here. Yes. Until you're listening to it later. Mm. And then it is there and then. I'll remember it fondly. But this will be then and (laughs) there. Mm -hmm. When you're, you know, Martin Heidegger once said... Forgive me for my convoluted Uh, bit there. Just had to do it. I didn't have to do it. I wanted to. You know, I started rolling with it, and I couldn't stop myself until I did. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Nothing overt to complain about that I am currently aware of. Mm. That's that's my current status. Life is working. Yeah, it's working. Yeah, it is not malfunctioning. Not entirely. Not yet. Exactly. Not at this. Not till winter comes to harden our bones and. I will say, though, today's, and this is going to really date the podcast if anyone's like a weather nerd and really tracking. <laughs> today's like meant to be the last like hot day. Yes. I'm like, give me no, the jacket weather. Him. Give uh, me <laughs> the boots weather. Looking at the weather today, thinking to myself, it's the last hot day. Oh, no. <laughs> Despair is soon upon me. Oh, uh, but, the, but the autumn, the autumn campfires. Yes, you're right. I ought to just enjoy <laughs> what I have. The smell of decaying leaves and autumnal color. Ah, yes. When nature dies. But you know, maybe that's a testament to like, even in death, God brings us beauty. All right, Martin Luther. (laughs) (laughs) You must know, brethren and sisters, that our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not only in sacred books, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in every leaf that blossoms in springtime. That's what Martin Luther said. Love it. You know, just channeling that. Mm -hmm. Who knew death could be so beautiful? (laughs) No, for real, because people, I feel like the classic, mythologically speaking, is like, ah, we talk about the phoenix. Isn't that cool? It is cool. It's a cool thing. Oh, yes. But it's like, bro, seeds. (laughs) Yes. They they go in the ground and die. (laughs) That's right. And like, in order to bring forth life. Yes. It's even in the mundane. It is. It is baked in into Man. the cake of nature. <laughs> the nature cake. The nature cake. The big old nature cake of which our pagan ancestors were very aware oh, very nice. and thus celebrated in their well, yeah. festivals of... That's true too. Which so much the better for our faith because it's like, yeah, see, look guys, you see? Mm. Come on, you're, you're that close. You're like that close. moment where we go into like, yes, you have many festivals. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I'd like to speak of you, speak to you of the unknown festival. The unknown festival and that I proclaim to you. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. <laughs> exactly. Therefore, let us keep the festival. Well, anyway, yes, which, you know, you, you, you kind of have to, you have to know your Bibles to know. True. We didn't give you the references there. We didn't tell you those were references to Acts 17 and 1 Corinthians 5. You, that's right. You just kind of have to know, oh, that's that's a scriptural illusion that they just <laughs> threw out there. And, uh, you know, it's on that note that we are ever, often and anon, as Shakespeare would say, mm. right? He would say something like that. that often and anon. I like it. I don't know. But we are frequently encouraging the reading of the scripture. That is something. Good move. You know, as Christians, that's a, you know, yeah, you ought to do, you ought to do that. It's, yeah, you know, it requires discipline, yeah. I say, as one who struggles. That's, yeah, you know, but it is nevertheless important. It is, it's there, you know. But in addition to that, you know, because as we've also pointed out, there are lots of folks who have read and are familiar with the Bible. They know it. Yeah. But do they live it? Do they live the truths therein? Uh-oh, indeed. I don't want to does, examine this. Does, <laughs> does Bart Ehrman live out the truth of Scripture? Mm. I cannot say that he does. <laughs> I cannot say that he does. Does he know it? Yes. But does he live it? That's another matter entirely. And, you know, that's something that actually, I mean, of course, Scripture itself brings up. Yeah. The oft 
quoted words of James when he says, be not hearers of the word only deceiving yourselves, but be doers of the word, which everyone really loves to read that. They're like, Mm oh, you know, it's uh, that's that's kind of a bummer sometimes, you know, when you're like, oh, I haven't been, though, but I haven't been not lightly worded either. No, it's not because it's like, oh, you want to deceive yourself? Exactly. Oh, you believe that God is one? Oh, good for you, buddy. I mean, the demons at least have the good sense to shudder when they think about that. Uh What are you doing, buckaroo? You know, what are you doing? But you need that, you know? You need that sometimes. That's true. You know? So that's part of what we're going to do today. Okay. You're welcome, listeners, wherever you are. You're thinking like, I just, you know, I want a casual, fun, you know. I mean, you know, we we have fun, but also... It's uh, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. So then uh, we thought, you know, why not do a brief three-part mini-series of sorts on how to live out those Bibles that we are reading? Good start. They've got a lot, you know, a lot going on there. And today we're going to (laughs) begin, speaking of having fun, we're going to begin with the practice of confession. Confession, confession, confessing our sins. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's a nice choice. We're not, we're not starting slow here. No. But, like that really is a, a pretty foundational place to start. Like if your aim is to be formed by Christ. Yes. You should probably, you should probably start here. Yes. It's a good, it's a good place. It is. In the book of Acts, for example, that's like basically the first thing that yeah. like the apostle Peter will say in a couple of his sermons is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's right there up front, you know, repent, which involves <laughs> if you're going to repent and turn from sins, you have to know what those sins are, which oh, implies yeah. you're also confessing those sins. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a uh, somber-looking way, living out the scriptures. But, to your point, it is one of the most essential ways that we do apply the truth of the Bible. And you may ask, you know, why? Why is that the case? Why here? Why now? Well, here's why it can be so essential and important. And we'll even just keep it kind of practical and pragmatic, so to speak, to begin with. And that is that nobody likes to have a dirty conscience. Mm. You know, like, the reality is, is we're all going to feel stained in our conscience by something, right? Like yeah. you, you have to live by some sort of a code one way or another that helps you determine what's the right way to behave and think and speak. And consequently, then what is the wrong way to do that? Yeah. And nobody likes to have a dirty conscience. You know, if you have one, it stains every decision you make. And when you, let's say you try to live a life that's good and virtuous, and let's just assume you're using scripture as your guide for that. For the sake of argument. Yeah, for the sake of argument. And you try to live a life that aligns with the reality of God's word. Um, A dirty conscience is going to whisper to you, you know, you aren't actually a good and virtuous person. You've thought and said and done terrible things that violate the very edicts you claim to believe and follow. And that means you're just trying to fool everyone into thinking that you're someone you're not. So, which is another yeah. form of uh, violating that very edict. So, uh, you know, just how you just stop it. <laughs> that, that was a little dark. That was a little yeah. <laughs> slightly creepy, actually. Like, get into your own like, oh, no, I'm in danger. <laughs> Me, listen to that. And, and most human hearts can only live in that kind of tension for so long, sure. right? Before yeah. you either give in to a manic despair, Mm -hmm. right? And become sort of psychotic or you numb yourself to it. You harden your heart to it and you become sociopathic, so to speak. And the problem, of course, is that because we all sin, we all do have dirty, stained consciences, right? No one is free from that. Like, as Augustine said, God had one child without sin, none without suffering, And the point of that is there's only one child without sin, which is Jesus. The rest of us have sin. That's the implication there, you know. And so we're going to suffer in our consciences. 
And as we read the Bible, we're going to find ourselves confronted with our sins. Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a page of scripture you could read where if you're not reading it honestly, you're not going to be confronted with something. You know, that that sword that pierces the division of soul and spirit is going to probably hang you at some point, you know? Yeah, unless you find like a really large print and get stuck in like genealogies. <laughs> large right. print of genealogies. You might get by. Yes. Yes. You get to, you know, uh, and Hezekiah begat, you know, and you're like, like, oh, oh good. look these at these pages. I'm good for these. I'm safe here. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So other than that, you know, you're going to read that. You're going to be confronted with your sin. It's going to make your conscience feel even more stained. Mm. And then the question is, how do I get clean? You know, yeah. how am I purified? How do I rid myself of this, well, that's where confession comes in. Mm. We're purified and set free to live lives of integrity through confession of sin. That's where, for example, 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, through Christ, by faith, confession of sin frees us from the bondage of sin. So once our sin is out in the open before God and man, it loses its power to blackmail us, so to speak. It's out in the light. It doesn't hold this sort of like, well, I know things and I can, you know, we can really make life miserable if anyone finds out about that. Well, once everyone knows, once God knows, you know, which is funny because he knows already anyway, but like once you know he knows and you lay it out and you are honest about it, Mm -hmm. it loses that power. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what that previous dialogue, it felt like this like screw tape-esque. Yeah, yeah. Blackmail sort of like manipulation. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word either, but the funny thing is it's like that confession that really starts to like disempower that sense of that kind of blackmail Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But sometimes we still find this like weird desire to hold on to it anyway. Yes. Like it's a form of penance or something. Right. Yes. Like this is just my form of suffering to bear. Exactly. You know? It's like that seems to be at odds with like, you know, first John one night. You know, yeah. It's like, right. Right. Uh, it does. It does. Because in order to experience the true chain shattering power of Christ's forgiveness. Okay. We have to be willing to confess specific sins and then I know it sounds so weird, but like rest in the assurance that when we do that, he has forgiven us. You know, you're not having to do like, oh, like, oh, well, like once I've suffered enough in my conscience, then he'll yeah. forgive me. Like, it's so clear he's not operating by like this, the same human logic where you would, right. you know, like hold over someone else. Yes. And like, and thank goodness for that, obviously. Right. But it leaves us thinking like, yeah, but when's the other shoe going to drop? Right. Like, right. I haven't suffered enough for what I yes, did. Yes, that's know? right. Like, well, someone did. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I do think part of what makes this a little more difficult is how specific confession really requires us to be if it's going to fit Mm. the parameters of scripture and actually work its power, so to speak. I'm reading this book and it's adult content warning, but it's called How to Stay Married Mm. and fascinating book. It's got some weird stuff here and there. So again, just warning anyone who like looks it up, but it's basically the story of this man and his story of how he and his wife stayed married, even though she had an affair. And there's a moment in the book where he is coming to grips with how did I contribute to the failure of our marriage up to this point. Because he's thinking like, you know, my wife's the one who cheated on me. You know, like, come on, which is true. But, you know, he's a Christian. So he's <laughs> he's dealing with, you know, having to confess and own up that he has not been a perfect yeah, husband. Right. And not just, oh, I've not been perfect. But like, so I'm getting to the point where he has this moment in the book where he describes the first time he's like, I'm really going to examine myself and I'm going to confess my sins. And so he gets into it. And he's like, you know, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. And then he's like, and I hear this little voice in my head say, but how? Oh, great. 
like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's the question. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, but how? Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's very comfortable to keep that very general up above, like, oh, we all make mistakes. We're all human. Mm. We're all flawed. Like, yeah, we get that. We all know that. You're not telling us anything new. It's the specific particular sins that disrupt our relationship with God and others. That's yeah. it. It's not just your general sinfulness that does it. Maybe you could make the case in your relationship with God, it does. But the problem with your general sinfulness is that it manifests itself in particular mm-hmm. sins. And those are the things we have to confess. And the reality is, yeah, sin will kill me, and I ought to confess my specific sins to God and to those spouses, children, friends, coworkers, whoever, that I have hurt and wronged by my sins. Yeah. You know, I think it's like to simply know that sin is bad and you ought to confess it. If you're there, that's like hardly a watershed moment. Yeah. I mean, you should, you should be aware of that, but like how different is that from like even the demons believe in shudder? Right. Yeah. Not right. That, not that impressive. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that still doesn't put it into action and, yeah. and like awareness is super essential first step, but it, it does little good until you practice it with this kind of specificity. Right. Right. Yeah. If you have a, an argument with your spouse and you just go and like, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. Yeah. Sorry. I'm a tough person. Sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, that's no, like, yeah. Like, uh, no, the, the correct answer is sorry that I said blank, blank, blank. That was wrong. Yeah. You know, forgive me. And take a biblical example, King David. <laughs> okay. He's called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. He's Israel's dearest king and most beloved ruler throughout scripture. And to this day, I mean, the, the flag of Israel is still the star of David, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, like everyone loves David. You know, he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah. He's the archetype. He's the man. <laughs> and yet he too must confess his sin when his heart is pierced by the spirit of conviction. All right. Yeah. No one is exempt from this. Not even in the most seemingly in consequential sins. And we see this truth displayed vividly toward the end of his reign when he decided to take a census of the kingdom. And you may remember this in his story. And to be clear, here's what's odd about this account. There's nothing inherently sinful about taking a census, even as a king of Israel. It was permitted by the Mosaic law. You could take a census of the people. Right. But even permissible act, if done with evil intent and a self-centered heart, can be sinful in the eyes of God, which is a huge problem. Yeah. (laughs) That creates a whole mess of issues. And so when David, in the story, asked his army commander, Joab, to number the people, Joab responded with, concern. We don't know what it was exactly, but he evidently saw something suspicious flowering in his king's motives. You know, like the same thing, like you just tell like, oh, there's uh, something is amiss here. You know, don't know what it is, but something. And uh, most likely, I think what makes the most sense with the data we have is that through this census, David was implicitly putting his ultimate trust in his own military strength. Mm -hmm. In effect, saying, I trust my army more than my God. And by the time the census is complete, here's what we read in 2 Samuel 24, 10. David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Okay, so he's done something technically permitted by the law. And yet he turns around, his conscience is stricken and he realizes I have sinned. In his own words, I have sinned greatly in this thing, in taking the census. And when David's conscience was stricken and stained by his sin, he didn't try to hide it. He didn't make excuses. He didn't shift the blame. He simply confessed his sin. Of course, we know the specific sin he was confessing, which was the numbering of the people, demonstrating a distrust of God, who could save by many or few. That's part of the 
point here. Yeah. And he didn't stop it. I ought to confess. He actually confessed. Yeah. That's to your point about actually practicing it, not just having like, oh, I feel bad. I have this vague, hazy sense of crumminess about numbering the people. Yeah. He actually confesses that mm-hmm. to the Lord. And it is written in scripture. Like somebody else knew about this too. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's written down for our posterity. I think this this particular example, it's such a strong one. I think it like heightens the stakes in some ways. You yeah. have like someone of significance, a man after God's own, a king after God's own. Yeah. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, it's not light matter. That's that's a moniker that tells me you ought not be making these mistakes. Yes. Like I would mm-hmm. like to think you're you're yeah. above it. We're not. Nope. <laughs> um, and then you have this act that's generally permissible or amoral or whatever. Yeah. Nothing that would normally cause alarm until you have intent. Yes. And everything else goes out the window. Like, right. It, it's like even someone in this position, we can see it's not just these obvious glaring faults that we can all see as sin. It's it's also the subtle motives that get entangled in what we choose to say and do. Yes. That also require like that specific confession. Right. Let me just add one more example here to make it a little more concrete. But if you take the example of Galatians 6.1, where Paul says, if you catch anyone in transgression, let those who are spiritual restore him. In other words, like, hey, like, okay, this person's in sin, go talk to him about it, try to bring them back to the, the fold of you know holiness and rightness and all that stuff. I find it interesting that he says, let those who are spiritual do that. Like he has that qualifier because there is a wrong way to do that right thing of confronting someone about their sin. Like if let's say one of my daughters has done something wrong, you know, let's say one of them has, you know, talked back to Morgan, which is, that's a, that's a violation of the commands. That's not a good ad. Like you, you want to address that early, you know, but if I, in a flare of anger, then turn and snap and say, don't talk to your mom like that. Yeah. Technically, what I am instructing my daughter to do there is correct. She should not talk to Morgan like that. Right. If I do it, though, like if, if I'm not spiritual, like if I'm not in a state of grace when I'm doing that, I am going to have to come back to Abby and apologize to her and confess to her mm. because I was not doing that right thing in a spiritual way, yeah. in the spiritual sense of being like, my intent was not right. I was yeah. too eager to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, like if you're eager to correct someone, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. Like you probably need to take a step back for a minute and then, you know, come back. Yeah. And um, it's just interesting how much gets, it's like, you really think, like if you think you're doing well, like this is, I have rare moments where I think I'm really, I'm truly doing well. Yeah. And then what cures me of that every morning and night is the prayer of confession. Like every morning when I, and before I do that, there's a section in my prayer book where it has a reading of the law. So it has various just passages. You read a different one every morning or night. So like occasionally it'll be like the passage is the Ten Commandments. And you're like, oh boy, like <laughs> I have, yeah, like, oh, I thought I was doing it. No. Yeah. And no. we've unpacked the complexity of some of those. Yes. On this so podcast. it's like, yeah, you start thinking about that and you're like, yeah, yeah. no, I have so much to confess. No, yeah. And uh, it's just really, it's a, it's a harrowing exercise, but you have to, you have to do it because <laughs> it's the only way to be experience freedom Mm -hmm. in the end, you know, and avoid that, that blackmail. So, you know, when we come to the Bible and we find our conscience is stricken, confronted by the specific sins of our thoughts, words, and deeds, we're going to have to decide in those moments whether we're going to sweep them under the rug and offer only vague confessions or whether we're going to bring the filth to light and kind of, you know, sweep it up into the dustpan of confession (laughs) and and forgiveness. And so, yeah, keeping it, uh, keeping it real, no Mm -hmm. hiding, no excuses, no blame shifting, simple, specific confession. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, just as another, <laughs> this is kind of a digression at this point, but it just reminded me of another story I heard a while back. I can't remember where I read this or heard this, but, you know, one of the things talking about like confession of sin and then 
how actually like confessing sin and praying can help you then like even in the aftermath and the afterglow, so to speak, it's like a defense against sinning. Mm. Whoa. You know what I mean? And uh, to that point, I think, I think it was in a C.S. Lewis book on the topic of forgiveness, actually. He was talking about how, how prayer does that. It's like, yeah, you, it's hard to get through your morning or evening prayers and then immediately go and like yeah. sin against your mm-hmm. spouse or friend or write that tirade against your boss or whoever. And he's like, and to that point, I was reminded of the story of um, in Irish woman, or no, 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 a story of two Irish women who were bitter rivals in a village. And one of the women went to church for prayers. And after the service concluded, she left and coming into the church for the next service was her rival. The rival said all these nasty things on her way into the church against this old, older lady. And the older lady who had just come out of the church and just finished her prayer said, oh, it's fortunate for you that I am in a state of grace because I can't say what I want, but I won't be in a state of grace for long. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I mean, that's just a little, that's an extra, almost like a little bonus content here on that. But it is amazing how that works. So anyway, yeah, it's when you pray, you're in a state of grace. <laughs> Obviously, she was quite, you know, she she missed a little bit of that. <laughs> You're lucky I'm in a state of grace. <laughs> but I won't be for a From a certain point of view, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, there you have it. Mm. Confession of sin and living out the Bible. Very good. So hopefully we can all, you know, <laughs> I just keep thinking of these things where it's like, <laughs> even my... Uh, even my confession of sin sometimes is wanting. I need to confess that sure. I've not confessed yeah. like the way I ought. So hopefully we can all grow a little more honest and true and holy in our confession of sin yes. now that we've listened to this. Or we're just hope- hopelessly muddled now and we're going to, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully but not. Yes. If not, please. If you are, please forgive us. I confess that. I did not intend to do that. Well, anyway, thank you as always for listening. And if you found this content helpful and you want to share it with a friend, you know, that'd be great. You can do that. You can also leave us an honest five-star review in that Apple podcast platform. Helps out with algorithms or whatever, I'm told. Uh, probably. You know, does that kind of a thing. So there you have that. And if you have any questions on this or any other topic, as always, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. Thank you again for listening, and we will catch you next time.